and welcome to the J-Rod Tour Pod with me, James Robson. Unfortunately, Ollie Dix is away tonight, so I'm going to be recording this with our good friend Edward Grisdale, who's coming in as one of our many tour specialists that we'll be consulting with over the next few weeks. So let's jump straight into the conversation Ed and I are having about quite a eventful first stage of the tour. Right, so Ed, starting off with um, your initial impressions of the race, then, because I mean, this is a this has been a tough, tough opening weekend, hasn't it? I mean, it looks like it's going to be pretty horrific tomorrow. I think today was going to be a bit of a strange one. Um, I think if the weather had been a little more clement, shall we say, um, it would have been a different story. But the way it was, it sort of got to the point where they just didn't want to basically look like they didn't want to be there anymore um and sort of with like 40k to go they were just like right let's knock it on the heads until we get onto the flat bit um so that we can all just get home by the looks of it um yeah and and like i mean they were they were climbing they were doing a categorized climb before the race had technically started like it was it was pretty mental to see them just like hammering along in pretty awful weather i mean on the itv4 coverage they had Chris Froome on the phone uh, for a little bit and he was like it's going to get really rainy later and it's going to be really really interesting um I mean from my point of view like the thing that I was impressed with like first 10 seconds literally 10 seconds into the race there was a breakaway so people are like up for it to be honest that doesn't really surprise me like they've been sort of cooped up for so long um and the probably the sponsors and everyone's trying to get as much airtime as possible, they're just gonna have a have a few pops right off the start with fresh legs. Um, yeah, it's it's not surprising to see as soon as it's sort of the flag drops, they're um they're wanting to go. Yeah. Okay. And now, I mean, so let's jump ahead a bit now to the to the like final sprint because that's what it ended up coming down to. Like there was a there was a breakaway that happened and then uh, they got slowly reeled in. On that descent, you were talking about sort of forty k out from the end. It was quite interesting actually watching the watching the coverage with you know Tony Martin, who's quite a respected figure in the peloton, comes to the front, waves the racing off. He's like, "Guys, it's too dangerous. Let's just all descend safely and then resume the racing when we get to the uh, get to the flats." And that lasted for about five minutes until Astana started absolutely flying off the front to see if they could get out of it. Which was an interesting move, and it it didn't pay off for them because um, I think it's Miguel Angel Lopez is was riding third back, like third wheel back, locked up his back wheel, and then just absolutely flew into a road sign on the side of the road. Yeah. At which point Primoz Roglic caught up and was like, "Look, slow it down now." So it was interesting watching that kind of like self policing of the peloton and and how. One of the teams didn't respect it, and you know, kind of got caught out. So that was a that was a fascinating little sort of moment of okay, the peloton's looking out for itself here. But um, I mean, moving ahead to the f- sprint finish, then I mean, Christoph was absolutely flying at the end, then wasn't he? I mean, he was. Yeah, it was. I think he was on his own. I d- I don't think he had any domestiques left. Uh, to be honest, I think that it was such a long run into the finish um, in terms of like there was quite a long flat bit and they were sort of 
they were running over 50 k's an hour for a good like 10 k into the finish they'd all sort of burnt their domestiques and by the end i think um the the gc's sort of give it up after 3k um but then obviously the the sprinters were were looking to get some kind of um well get into, into yellow um and yeah christoph was just in a league of his own i think um from looking at the helicopter, it looked like Sagan got a little bit um, like pushed out, but he he then got into clear air and was absolutely nowhere. Um, it looked like Christoph was just had a motor in comparison. But it's interesting because like Peter Sagan is as you know, I, was he won the last eight green jerseys or something? Like it's absolutely mental how many he's won. But he seems to always do it by just hammering the intermediate sprints because they're the ones that people don't really care about. He's a and he's, he's like, a accumulator, isn't he? He's a um, rather than winning like five stages or whatever. I think I can't remember whether that's the most that um, Cav won when he was winning green jerseys. But he he is much more of an accumulator. He'll sort of pick up points here and there, get seconds and thirds rather than um, the odd stage win sort of thing. He'll probably win a stage maybe. Um, but he's definitely, because he's such a sort of versatile rider, he ends up pre- pretty much, yeah, getting all the intermediates, and that that makes him pretty much win. Yeah, and I mean, you know, going back to the the, I mean, I think most sprint teams had blown through their lead out. So actually, you looked at it at about a k out, and it it did just look like a sort of hodgepodge of these, the best sprinters in the world, just kind of all waiting for someone to make an early move it wasn't it wasn't the sort of organized you know lead out trains people peeling off things like that that we're used to seeing at the tour it was a bit scrappy but that kind of made it a bit more entertaining because it was oh it's not who's necessarily got the best lead out train it's like okay who is the best sprinter so it kind of showed the form early doors and and Christoph came out um you know in yellow how long he stays in that is um almost 100% confirmed to be just a day. I mean, yeah, if, um, if he was to able to stay in it tomorrow, then he's, yeah, just changed a lot since last year. Yeah. I mean, but as you said, like the, the GC contenders only really go to 3K until the end and then they just kind of roll in. It looked like today they all got to 3K and decided to have a little rollabout on the floor as well. Yeah, I mean, that crash there at 3k to go, and if you haven't watched it, they were literally five metres beyond the 3k to go barrier. And then a crash in the middle of the peloton just took everyone out. Um, It was, you know, you've got people like Thibaut Pinot, one of the GC contenders, got caught out in that big time and, and looked angry and hurt um moving forward and that's not a great position to be in at the end of day one i mean yeah day day one is literally the worst time you could possibly crash um in terms of well in, in terms of him it, he didn't look that bad he had one scrape on his shoulder but you obviously can't see you might have bruised and battered a bit but it's sort of it's one of those things where you've got three weeks of trying to recover for the next day effectively and that's not going to help at all I mean, looking at the GC, you've got to say that uh, Ineos, I guess they're the Ineos Grenadiers now. Um, a, yeah, very strange. Which is, just, yeah, I guess it, it might be a nice car. Who knows? Um, 
but the Ineos Grenadiers are were looking good. Luke wrote, I mean, like I think David Miller said that at one point in the uh, in the commentary, he was like, "This is what Luke Rowe gets paid money to do. It's to police what is going on on the road and get Egan Bernal to the finish line safely." And they did that today. They, uh, I mean, at one point they were sort of it, it essentially looked like they were a sprint lead out train because they were just on their own on the other side of the road, going as quick as the sprinters teams but just making sure that he got there to the right place. And, and that paid off because there was that crash at 3K to go and Ineos were clear of it because they'd put in the effort early doors. Jumbo Visma, every, I mean, everyone's been talking about Jumbo Visma's team, but they did also look really you know good and in control and they were kind of the policing force of the, of the whole peloton earlier. Um I mean, do we think that that anything's going to come from this GC race early on, or do we think it's just going to be right get over these first couple of days and then wait for the first big Alp stage to really, really blow it all apart? I think tomorrow is going to be a bit of a sort of suck it and see again. Um, I think there'll be a lot of people sort of looking at each other, seeing whether anyone's going to go big, um, and I imagine on a stage like that, there'll there'll probably be a breakaway. Um, whether it gets sucked in or not by the end, because I think it's fairly flat into the finish, or at least there's no big hills into the finish, um, which means that the peloton could catch it up, but it just depends whether, if there's any sort of big GC contenders in it, they they might just, if there's not, they might just let it go um, for for the sake of just saving the legs, because I know it's a three-week race sort of thing, um, and I think a lot of the time the GCs are sort of trying to, sort of take it a day at a time, take it steady, rather than just sort of going out full blaze in the first sort of weekend. Yeah. So, I mean, like, we've got, what, 186k tomorrow, 3,000 metres of climbing. But as you kind of mentioned, like, most of it, the, the two big 1,500-metre-plus climbs are in the first half. So I think there are two things that might happen tomorrow. One of them is that you're going to get a Grappetto forming early on of sprinters that just can't hang with a peloton and will just be spat out the back because the GC contenders know that, like, you know, if they put in a decent, not a decent shift, but if they're going at a pace that's comfortable for them up the hills, the sprinters aren't probably going to be able to hold on. But if a sprinter, like your Peter Sagans, like your people who are sort of slightly better at climbing, slightly more versatile, if they can hang on to the peloton, they might have quite a good shot at a sprint finish here because it is a flat run in. And actually, if there is someone in the peloton who's capable of that explosive finish, why I mean, would a GC contending team fight it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, in like, I, I would say there's only there's very few people who would can like be able to do to hang in there in the mountains and also put in a sprint. There's there's people like. Um, Sagan, obviously, uh, Van Avermark, people like that, um, who are sort of able to sort of hold their own on the climbs and then obviously put a shift in and, and blow any of the GC cont- contenders out of the water. It would surprise me if if they were able to hang on, um, but stranger things have happened, haven't they? Yeah, and especially with someone like Greg Van Avermark riding for Jumbo Visma. Exactly. Um, you know, he he'll be... He'll be probably helping out trying to get their GC, you know, crew over the mountains. And, you know, you may well be seeing someone like 
like him taking turns on the front, coming back with bottles and jerseys and things like that. You know, kind of like in in 2012 when you turned around halfway through a stage and you saw Mark Cavendish going back to the Team Sky car yeah. and coming back with a t-shirt full of bottles in the world champions jersey that was that um, was legendary that was an absolute legendary race yeah and you might you might see a, some, something similar with greg van avermaet but but yeah i mean i think it it's such an interesting challenge to have so much climbing early doors in the race tomorrow that yeah i mean it, it it's a situation where this could blow the race apart and we're only on day two like how much better is this tour going to get how much excitement can we get from the, for the next three weeks because i mean god knows we've all been waiting for it for so long can we just talk about quickly how ridiculous the lot the um jumbo visma team is they have got if, even if you don't know cycling you know all of the names it's, which is unheard of really the, i know that a lot of the um the domestiques end up being sort of names that you might hear like uh Wout poles or whatever from them from Ineos, who's now at um, Bahrain, but it's it's an absolute like joke who's in the team. Um, it, it is sort of a who's who of cycling, really, isn't it? Yeah, they've they've put together a pretty unbelievable team, and it's uh, it, but it's interesting because my question with that, like when I saw when I saw the team, I mean, I know that in 2012 Sky took Cav as a as a sprinter. He didn't really get much of a shot to be protected by the team and have a go at the sprints, other than the final stage. Yeah, he and was. Like, he was that. a. The reason he was in that team was because Dave Brailsford was the Team GB cycling coach. I'm pretty sure. So they just wanted him to have that run into the Olympics. It was was my take from it. Yeah. So the, I mean, my question is like, if it, when Jumbo Visma get really tested and they're going to have to blow through all of their numbers, will they rue the fact that they've got some sprint talent in there that might not be quite as suited to sitting on the front? Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Because Tom de Moulin and Primoz Roglic really are GC contenders if they were in separate teams. But who who do you prioritize once once the cards are down because realistically they are both going for it and you can't split the team so it's effectively yeah a bit of a bit of a strange one they've sort of shot themselves in the foot by having such a strong team potentially yeah and i think we might well i guess the climbing's early enough tomorrow that we should be able to see the gc contending teams come you know get over the top of both of those climbs with with numbers but that first alpine stage you're going to see the first big alpine stage you're going to see a moment where okay who's the super domestique and who's the leader here yeah because, if, if you look at um jumbo visma tony martin and george bennett are not really going to be helping um up the mountains at least you, you would assume because uh george bennett's the is he the irish national champion sprinter and yeah. it's that's not um, not really the same ballpark, is it? So interesting. No. It's gonna. It is gonna be interesting to see how that team works. But then again, like these are probably the same arguments that people wheeled out when when Sky turned up in 2012. That you know, 
with with Froome, who is so strong, who could probably lead a team outright on his own, and has subsequently proved that he could. And you know, equally with Froome and G, you know, Geraint Thomas, and then Geraint Thomas and Egan Bernal, like yeah, those right, yeah. those those conversations have have um, have been around for a while. So ah, I'm just so pumped. Like I spent what four hours sitting on the sofa today watching the tour and could barely keep my eyes off it. Um, other than for listening to the Formula One qualifying, which yeah, is I, uh, I did actually did actually watch that one. Sometimes the um, the ITV coverage of the tour gets a bit tiresome with the um, ad breaks every fifteen minutes, and that little um, little tune that they play at the start and end of every every um, advert just gets me. Cause I having... feel like I might be might be quite sick of the Tour de France theme tune by yeah. the end of it. Yeah, yeah, but I probably won't be sick of the cycling. So. Yeah, true. Um... But anyway, Ed, thanks so much for, for joining me this evening and uh, we'll be back with another episode tomorrow. I think Ollie's going to jump in tomorrow and we might talk to Ed, we might talk to a couple of other people, but we're definitely going to keep this just like short, sharp podcast going. It's for the length of the tour, just just to give us mainly somewhere to chat about the cycling that we've watched for the day and uh, we hope that it's useful and interesting for everyone listening. Cheers, Robert. <laughs>